Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. It's the thematic music all week. I was going to write a set of songs for you to sing, but I haven't needed them. I just left them in my briefcase. You know, songs like I wrote like At the Cross and When I Surveyed the Wondrous Cross. Just kidding. Tried to impress Brother Rust. He didn't know I was a songwriter. Good to see you tonight, Brother. He was out to school the other day. I heard him up in Sherman the other day. He was out to school the other day. Boy, he was a blessing. And we're looking forward to having him back in a few days with our week of concentrated study. And it's good to see you tonight. Go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to make the big turn tonight. Very important. And tomorrow night is definitely the climax. I know the weather's going to be horrendous. But this is a shelter in the time of storm. Just leave a little early. If Brother Reed can get here tomorrow night, we'll be in good shape. He's here tonight. So anyway, you know, those ram trucks, you can't stop those things, man. You can just go through about anything. But anyway, uh, I lost my audience already on some of that. But anyway, just be prepared because tomorrow night is extremely important. Uh, everything that's been said has value in and of itself, obviously, when it comes from the Word of God. But it's all really meant to set off tomorrow night especially because the vast majority of you that have heard the sermons are saved. But we need to come to a deeper understanding, therefore a deeper appreciation of the cross. And the truth we're going to share with you tomorrow night is something I know has been preached here off and on. Your pastor and I have discussed it many times through the years. And I have studied it off and on through the years. But it's one of those great truths the Holy Spirit just continues to unfold, to unravel. And every once in a while you need to take a look at it because it really is what the Christian life is supposed to be about. And the key that I'm using right now, I wanted the cross to become even more impacting even more clear what God did on the cross because the more you understand the cross, the more you understand what God was doing at the cross through God the Son, the better the opportunity is going to be for you to get a hold of this amazing passage in the Bible we're going to look at tomorrow night. You're in Galatians chapter 6 and you're at the end of Galatians when you read verse 14, just a few verses left. And so when you read verse 14 of Galatians 6, You take everything Paul said from verse 1 on, and you bring that into this. And there's some other verses before this. We looked at Galatians 3. If anybody doubts that Christ being hung on a tree was God emphasizing from Deuteronomy 21 that Christ became a curse for us. Galatians 3 settles that clearly. Remember what we did. We talked in Sunday school how famine... Flood and fire are used by God to illustrate His wrath. And the Bible literally portrays Christ in Psalm 22 famishing on the cross. The drink offering, I mean, just completely emptying Himself out for us, so to speak, physically and emotionally and relationally. Then we talked about the Sunday morning message, how the objective of the Jewish religious leaders was to ruin Jesus Christ in the eyes of the people. If we can ruin him in the eyes of the people. Remember, they started out trying to stone him. 
But we saw several passages where the Bible literally said they wanted to destroy him. And they wanted to destroy him in the eyes of man, so they kind of passed it off to the Romans, because the Romans came up with crucifixion in order to destroy somebody and destroy their reputation long after they were gone. To put somebody through that, to put some significant personage through that, it really just shows you in our humanity just how weak we really are. I have seen some mighty people of the past, maybe in the sports world or some other thing where they just had a tremendous presence. I've looked at them later years, something comes along, something happens, injuries, and how quickly we can be diminished physically. And they set out to destroy the eyes of man. That was the Roman perspective on the cross. And the Bible uses the word cross very clearly. But also we saw, as I said a few minutes ago, another reason they wanted to be put on the cross is because God had set up ahead of time in Deuteronomy 21, if you hang on a tree after a crime, etc., you were cursed. And so we can root him in the eyes of man, and we can root him in the eyes of God as they understood it. If he could become a curse, then how in the world could he ever be the Messiah? And a lot of Jews would understand that, that, look, he's on the cross, he's destroyed the eyes of man, and if he's on the cross, he's hanging on a tree. And a, a different Greek word for that, that's why it's translated tree and not cross. Peter emphasized that, and Paul emphasized that. Peter said, you hung him on a tree. And they thought, that, that'll be it. Why were they surprised when he rose from the dead? And I mean, he didn't crawl out of there. He made a show of it openly, triumphantly. With no, no doubt that he came out of that grave, earthquake and all. And he appeared for 40 days off and on. Made it infallible proofs that Christ rose from the dead. If you've got a King James Bible, it says infallible proofs in Acts 1-3. Why? Because the Greek word means infallible. It means it cannot be proven otherwise. Foolproof. Not convincing. A magician can be convincing. A lot of your translations say convincing uh, proof or or just proof. That's, that's okay, but that's watered down. The Greek word there, tekmerion, means foolproof. It means infallible. They cannot be proven otherwise. And Jesus clearly gave every evidence you could possibly give that he was bodily, personally risen from the dead victoriously. Amen? And then we talked about last night how the cross was not just for us. But God had to make a way for his wrath. Hell's the wrath of God. God had to pour out his wrath completely. He had to exhaust his wrath on our behalf. God's been appeased. God's been satisfied. If God goes off in eternity, not appeased, not able to empty all of his wrath, so to speak, in our part, then Satan, in a sense, got a victory. But no, there's no wrath left. Jesus paid it all. They're in hell because they did not receive the benefits of it. They rejected God's offer of salvation. We haven't got time now, but there's at least 14 roadblocks in the Bible that God gives us, several of them in Romans 1 and 2, that you've got to go through to go to hell. 14 roadblocks that God's put in place to keep you out of hell. The light of creation, conscience, the law written on your heart, etc. So the cross is so dramatic. It was for God and it was for us. Take me and heifer. On and on it goes. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. All that comes into play, and that's why Paul writes in verse 14, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. That little phrase is so key. We're going to look at a cross-reference tomorrow night, and we're going to be over in Romans 6 and look at a verse, and it's astounding. All right? Get your little pamphlet and open it up.
And we're going to talk about the best from the worst. Going to say several comments before we get to the heart. Now, this is kind of reverse. It's like we're already in the house. Remember I talked about a big Victorian porch? I usually spend a lot of time on the porch. Then we go inside real quick and then we're done. And you have to spend the rest of your time in the house because I give you notes to look at stuff. Well, we're going to come out of the house and get to the porch at the end here, okay? So look down at your notes there. Let's go through some things. Let's set this up. If you want to turn to Psalm 61, you can because you may want to follow that also along with the, the notes here in front of you. i like for you to do that because i like for this passage to become very special to you. Years ago, we did a series at Victory, and uh, we based it upon this passage, and we called it Beauty for Ashes. And we talked about the various things that happened in this world, the tragedies, earthquakes, tsunamis, dust storm, a lot of things that happened. And why, why are these things happening? What's going on? And, and we use this passage tonight. So we'll look at this as we get there. But it's toward the end where we really want to uh, bring home what we have for you tonight. Okay? So let's pray. Father, again, we just pause for a few moments. And we acknowledge that this is your church. These are your people. This is your word. This, above everything, is a spiritual endeavor. We are in a physical, literal body. We're in a physical building. And we are body, soul, and spirit. But God, this is an area that only the Holy Spirit can especially work And we pray that he would work tonight and do a work in our hearts. And this life has so many challenges in it. And some of them are so piercing, so injurious, so lingering, that no man is able to adequately address it. But the Word of God addresses it. With the power of the Holy Spirit, you can address it in our hearts tonight. Help me not to come across in any way as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. As we make that great turn in a few moments, I pray that you would prepare the hearts to be ministered to by the great comforter, the healer of man's hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a sense in which the ugliest event that ever happened was the crucifixion of Christ on the cross. We touched on that. If you were to see anybody crucified, it was a horrific scene. There were several reasons for the darkness at noon. Remember from 9 o'clock to noon, the sun was still shining. But at high noon, well, might the sun and darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin. The light of the world went out, so to speak, from high noon to 3 o'clock. It was absolute darkness. It wasn't a dust storm. It was a darkness as supernatural as that plague in days have gone by before that in Egypt. There's going to be a darkness that settles into the tribulation period that men are going to gnaw their tongues for pain. Something like we don't understand. A darkness more than a storm blowing in, as you sometimes hear those miracles described. The sun shut off, so to speak. And it was an absolute darkness. I think part of the reason for that was because I think the face of Christ was so distorted and so twisted. That human frame, that bodily instrument was so dis, dis, extended and stretched. He was, he was so contorted and the pain he was under. 
I mean, it took God himself to undergird him through that. It was an event that we can't imagine, and I think it would have been terrifying for Mary to see his face at that time. That's one of the reasons that she was sent away. So there's a whole lot going on there, and, and the, the cross of Christ was like no other cross. He was physically abused like few others that were crucified, if ever, and his visage was marred, the Bible talks about, and so forth. A holy, perfect man who only went about doing good was brutally assaulted and hung on a cross to die. Flies crawling on his face and gnats and every, everything else coming all over him. Anything out there attracted and I mean, it just any way you want to look at it, horrible. He was hung on a cross to die. But in it was the salvation of man. It was heinous, scandalous, even monstrous what was done to Christ. He was the law of God personified. Love others as yourself. Jesus said, love your enemies. Jesus was loving his enemies. Amen? Romans chapter 5 says we, we are... We are enemies of God. Christ died for us. He commanded us to love towards us while we were yet sinners. He loved us. He died for us. He was the Ten Commandments with skin on. The greatest display of love there ever was. Love personified or ever will be. Being thrown away. Thrown away by man. His own apostles fled except John. It was the hate-filled creature personifying fallen, ignorant mankind in general, seemingly killing his loved-filled creator. Yet today, the cross... What the Romans designed to be absolutely despicable. Today, it's worn as jewelry. It sets atop church steeples. It's often found probably displayed in churches as in a wall above the baptistry. How can this be? Because it's also the loveliest event that ever happened. God so loved the world that he gave for 33 and a half years. I do always those things that please him. He gave his only begotten son. And it climaxed on the cross. Now here we go. The point I want to make tonight is that if God can turn the most hideous event of all time into something so meaningful, uplifting, and good, they haven't had a hard time finding songs about the cross. Believe me, there's plenty. Why do we have all these songs about the cross? We just heard one tonight sung right on target. 
Wherever he was, he was on target. <laughs> All right. I saw him somewhere. Where'd he go? Oh, there he is. Okay. Right on target. What can he do with the hardships of our life? If God can turn such a negative into a positive, what can he do with the negatives of your life? Now, folks, this isn't rhetoric. This isn't just hype. This is absolutely one of the strongest points that can be made about what we've been talking about. Just to make sure you get this, Take the ugliest, most difficult things that you've had occur to you in life or maybe that you've done to somebody. Remember Saul of Tarsus? Look at his life before Christ. Let's think about it a minute. God can turn even that into positive. doesn't change the reality of it. He can take from that and do something positive. I just thought of this for a minute. My uh, father-in-law, who's in heaven now, was able to do things with his hands that were amazing. I mean, he just, he would fix old furniture and I could just sit there and watch him sometimes. He just, I'd take a rocking chair and I'd do everything I could to get the squeaks out of it. I didn't oil it because it was made of wood, but I mean, I'd do everything I could he could take that thing before they had Gorilla Glue, and he could, he could take that thing and put it back together, and when a, a man that weighs 150 pounds plus like me could rock back and forth in it, it would squeak. I mean, it was just, he's just amazing. Well, he came across one of those copper boilers out in the field where he was mowing one time, one of those big tractors mowing out there, and he looked down and saw it. He knew what it was. He knew it was made of copper and so forth. He knew that that metal was valuable. It had pliable. It had... It had character, so to speak. We didn't know all this. One day they came to visit us. He brought us this copper boiler. It's beautiful because he'd hammered it. It was absolutely flat. He hammered it back out into shape. And we still have it. Amen? How many flattened people has God hammered back out and brought back into service? So you follow what I'm saying? I'm not just talking motivational. I'm talking, I'm talking biblical structure. I'm talking doctrinal as we're going to see. Turn to Isaiah 61 if you haven't yet. Listen to these words of Christ speaking in Isaiah 61 ahead of time of himself 700 years before he entered our world as the God-man. <clears throat> this is Christ speaking 700 years ahead of time about when he came to the earth, what he was going to do. <clears throat> Psalm, uh, Psalm. I say Psalm. I should say Isaiah if I said Psalm. I'm sorry. Isaiah 61, and you have the wording I want you to see there. Look at verse 1 of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the good tidings, that's more or less the gospel, the good news, unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. By the way, that binding up the brokenhearted means binding up their heart. Not just binding up the broken heart in general, but it means getting to the very center of their intellect, emotions, and will. The very center of who and what you are. God can heal a broken heart. 
let me just jump ahead. This, this, this is the thing we've got to get. I've only got about three hours before I'll be in bed tonight. <clears throat> but anyway, <laughs> the Holy Spirit, on the basis of what God accomplished through Christ, etc., can do things that no man can do to your heart. And he can, he can make such a difference. He can work in such a way to proclaim liberty to the captives. And that's not just captive behind a, uh, you know, somebody comes in and takes you captive as a foreign army. Folks, it's captivity to sin. Memories that haunt you. Mistakes you which you hadn't made. Thought patterns. Ways of thinking you got in the habit of thinking. The opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort. You know, the word comfort's all through Isaiah, especially chapter 40 on. <clears throat> to comfort all that mourn, to appoint to them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them, look at this, beauty for what? Ashes. I don't have time or I could sing something beautiful. Something beautiful. Something good. All my confusion he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. Amen. Goes on. But he made something beautiful out of my life. Amen. That's not just a song, that's a biblical truth. Watch this. Beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Wow. That they might be called trees of righteousness. The roots going down deeper. So the crown, the influence can be greater. If you have a tree with a big crown, a person of great leadership, somebody that's a responsible position of, 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 of like a pastor, somebody that's a responsible leadership of, of helping and guiding people in the, in the storms of life, etc., if that root system does not go down deep enough, that tree's going to blow over because that tree's going to have a lot put on it. God has to deepen our root system in the right kind of ground. A picture Paul uses wonderfully several times in Ephesians, Colossians, etc. Being rooted and grounded. One time he says in love, Ephesians 3, love. Listen, let me just jump ahead here something. One of the reasons we are not as loving as we should be because we don't feel as loved as we can feel being loved. I love the word perceive. Perceive means there may be things in the way that stop you from seeing it. And so you've got to look past this, look past, and I perceive something, okay? Hereby perceive we the love of God. We get a $10,000 check in the mail. Well, that's pretty good. We get a brand new Chevrolet pickup. How's that? I'm just trying to be fair, brother. I don't want to, you know, I don't, okay. Ford pickup truck. Okay, have I covered the base? I know there's other trucks, but anyway, I'm just, you know, kind of make a point. Hereby perceive the love of God that he laid down his life for us. And let me stress again, just as much for you as anybody else. When he was on the cross, you were on his mind. You say, really? When he was on the cross, you were on his mind. Go back and read Psalm 139. Read Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 and following, when Christ is anticipating 
being with us, the habitation of man, and anticipating his incarnation. What about Hebrews 12? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was that joy? What it was going to do for you and how you could be with him forever. Remember, he's God, but he's the God-man. A member of the human race went to the nth degree for you. Amen? Here by perceive we the love of God that he laid down his life for us. The Holy Spirit needs to personify that. If you could go back right now and you could stand there. We talked about that song of John Newton. I saw one hanging on a tree, etc. He fixed his eyes on me and I owned the guilt. I said, I'm responsible for this. The Holy Spirit caused you to see this is what you should have coming to you. And once you realize that, the look was different. Now he has a look of forgiveness and love. Because now you understand why he's up there. And you understand that he's doing it for you. You understand there was no other way. If God's who God is, and God has made man the way he did, there was no other way but a God-man to take care of it. Somebody had to represent God. Somebody had to represent man. So we needed a God-man. And we got it in Jesus Christ. Co-creator God-man. Wow. And they shall build the old waste. They shall raise up the former desolations. And they shall repair the waste cities, the desolation of many generations, Israel's future, and the great new covenant that's going to come during the millennial kingdom when Israel rises up like they never have before, greater than the days of Solomon. But let me tell you something. By application in the New Testament sense, this church is full of people that have done that exact same thing. I'm looking in the faces of people, and the older you are, the more it's true. Some of the greatest saints in our churches are not people who haven't gone through anything. Sometimes you see somebody very happy, you think, man, they must have an easy life. Start talking to them. You might be very surprised. You might find they had a lot rougher than you thought. <clears throat> but they've been walking with the Lord. One guy said one time, Lord... Don't let, everything, don't let anything get a hold of me today that you and I can't handle together. Amen? Remember the elephant walking across the suspension bridge? One of those really old ones. He walks across like this, plonk, plonk, plonk. And his friend, a mouse, was riding on his back, close by his ear. And they got on the other side. The mouse looked back, and after they were already off, that old bridge was still doing this. And the mouse said to the elephant, man, look what we did. That's the basketball on the, on the hoop bouncing and the person that shot it. Look what we did. I'm the mouse, amen? You have lived this out or you wouldn't be here tonight. You smile, you sing the songs, you, you feel, you believe what you're seeing because God has done so much already, amen? You young people, hang in there. You're going to need the Lord. You're going to need Him at levels you don't even realize. Don't be scared. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's not just talking about dying. That's talking about getting in situations in life where you're close to death. You're getting in situations where there's nowhere else to turn. But guess what? The shepherd's with you. The shadow comes over you, but you go through it and you think, whoa. And by the way, if you don't, you're with God immediately. I used to kind of feel sorry when shallow thinking. I used to kind of feel sorry for Moses when he didn't get to go to the promised land. I'm here often not thinking about that as a teenager. So I thought, wow, after all he did? That was a hard group to pastor for 40 years. There weren't a lot of benefits. He gets angry 
And the wrong topic, I says, okay, that's it, you're not going to land. Okay? I can't, then it dawned on me, wait a minute, though. Actually, where he went wasn't too bad either. Okay? Now, let me just share something very personal because I think it's important. I'm going to have to go in great detail. There's no need to go in great detail. But again, I have, there are people who have gone through a whole lot more than I ever thought about going through. But I grew up in the home of an alcoholic, a drunkard. At times, it was a very traumatic situation. Many of you understand because you had the similar situations in your childhood. And, and I, 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 I still have scenes, thank God, they fade after years, but just the, the curse of alcohol and what it can do. And uh, it just the horrible things. Sometime back, my wife and I watched a Hallmark movie called When Love is Not Enough. This is back when Hallmark was making true biographies about true stories. And you know, they weren't these same old plot, just different character stuff. Okay, this way back then. And they were just really great, great programs. And this was the Lois Wilson story. Lois Wilson was the woman married to the man, Bill Wilson, who started AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. We watched that and was over with. Not the one about him, but the one they made later about the wife. And in a nutshell, here's the case. She got married and realized his drinking problem was all that serious. And after they got married, it just really got bad. And I mean, it got to the point where she couldn't handle it any longer. And they separated. And, and finally, something happened. And this guy sought God as he understood at that time. And he literally got delivered from alcohol. I mean, a chemical dependency, everything else. And everybody's different. Some people, it takes a long time. Some people, it's just all sudden, it's sudden. Okay? Uh, you know, God does things in various ways. And we're all a little different and so forth. But all of a sudden, he just turned around. But the first thing he wanted to do was help other alcoholics. And so he started bringing them to the house. So the last thing she wanted was a bunch of drunks around her house. Her husband dried up. She put up it for years. They're back together. He's bringing these drunks to the house. On the couch and everything else. And she said, man, boy, well, I finally get, the, you know, we get this thing behind us, look at this. And I'm watching this. And it portrayed that husband and wife relationship. And I told my wife, I said, man, whoever made this movie, not only did they, you know, because the, the Wilsons were gone when this movie was made. They, they had to understand what it was like. Because I told her, I said, man, that's just like, wow. It's just same old thing. I mean, I said, like, it took me back as a child seeing this stuff happen. And uh, the wife has to go to Al-Anon in that program because, uh, you know, to live with somebody like that, it does something to you. And I had to go to Alateen growing up sometimes off and on. It was okay. There were other kids there, <clears throat> girls my age. And, you know, we played a lot of volleyball out there. Had a great time. But anyway, but then I met her. But anyway, <laughs> I was just a kid there. But anyway, <clears throat> but it, it was startlingly, startling to me how accurate the portrayal was. My wife will tell you, I just, it kind of depressed my wife. I said, man, it, it ministered to me. I mean, I think it's one of the few times I was crying that day. <laughs> no, I mean, I just, I mean, it just stirred stuff in me and it came over me. I stepped back and I said, I told her, I said, you know what? I've never really stopped and thanked God for the man that started AA. And see what his wife started doing. She finally started reaching out to the wives because she knew what they were going through. And she started that ministry. And it was, had a lot of Christianity in it, but yet it didn't. But my dad had a lot of Christianity in it. At that time, he was, you know, I don't have time to go into the details. But through that, he went, he went to this thing. And the way AA was set up in those days, you, you got a big house. 
And you had to move in there and live there and be accountable around the clock, seven days a week. My dad left. My, we tried a lot of things. Went off to sanitarium for three months, come back, and in a month or two, he's, he's drinking again. And it got really bad. I mean, really bad. He's about dead. And uh, so we had him committed. He had to go to this place and stay at this alcoholic anonymous house. And the guy that ran it was a true Christian. His name was Bill Hager. And he ran it just like this movie portrayed. I started watching this, and I thought... Man, I didn't realize how much that guy did exactly what those guys said, but he brought in the extra dimension of the Christian thing. God was really saved. He knew his Bible. And, my, and he was a tremendous, and an alcoholic knows an alcoholic, okay? And my dad came out of that and had a spiritual experience beyond, you know, salvation. He had a spiritual experience, nothing light or anything like that, but just something happened inside. And I sat back there, and I, and I, this is maybe five or six years ago, I think, and I thought, wow, God, what you did, that guy started out, I didn't know that guy. And then Bill Hager, I remember him, I remember liking him as a teenager, I was 15 years old, my dad quit drinking. And I began to think about Temple Baptist Church, and Art Wilson starting that church in 1939. And I thought, where in the world would I be if he had not started AA? Bill Hager hadn't done it the way he did it. And touched my dad on a spiritual level and, and whatever. We didn't have reformers unanimous back then, see? And then, number three, what if they hadn't started Temple Baptist Church? I was the kid that came to Sunday school and church without my parents. And people like you loved me and cared for me. And other guys became my fathers, so to speak, here and there. And one day, my dad quit drinking. And for 25 years, when he died in his 70s, he had never drank again. Now, again, it, it, you know, and I know kids that have been in a home, and they had, they had it worse than I did. I had a good Christian church. I had Christian relatives. And my mother, she hung in there. I, I look back now, I don't even know how she did it. But I will just tell you, there was a lot of deep emotional scarring in all of his kids. And I was the baby of the family. And, you know, it, you just have to understand, everybody leaves, you're there alone. And mom and my dad's drunk. You can just imagine things, Okay. Fill in the details, just figure out what happens, and you see that, okay? And a lot of you have been there, and some of you have been in a worse situation, so I'm not asking for anybody's pity. I thank God I had what I had. My mother's a strong Christian, had brothers and sisters, etc. But I had to go deeper. As a teenager, when I got older and began to enter th- thinking about the ministry and stuff, I had to go deeper into the person and nature of God, even the Bible, to get my bearings in order to live a productive and happy life. You can't grow up in a situation like that and not be emotionally, uh, I wasn't scarred to some degree, et cetera. And I mean, th- through a lot of things I could tell you, I got in the Bible early and I just began to see a, a, a heavenly father. Somebody said, God's the father you wish you could have had. He's the father you wish you could be. And I found it to be true that I had a heavenly father. And I had a heavenly father through a lot of other men who kind of took me in almost like a son. And my dad came on around. Well, my dad wasn't drinking. He was a great dad. All of a sudden, he'd go off on it for three or four months like a totally different person. My wife and I started dating. Uh, she, uh, my dad had been dry for a couple of years. She said, I, I can't imagine your dad even being a drunk. I can't even see it. It doesn't even fit him. I want to tell you that God turned it all for good. At the age of 15, I saw my father deliver from the throes of an addiction to alcohol. In a short time, a few years later, all my siblings and parents began to return to church. She saw this happening. And healing began to the place in the lives of all concerned, where I can tell that we were all, I can tell you we're all serving God today. And my sister just went home to be with the Lord, my oldest sister, a few weeks ago, serving God at various ways and levels. But there was a lot of scarring there. 
we had 25 years, as I said, of soberness with my father. And they got active in church, and God called me to preach. And my brother came home from the military, went off to Bible college. I mean, God just did amazing things. Not only did he give me first-hand experience of how God can turn a situation like that around, I remember praying, my mom praying, I thought he'll never, he'll never change. He'll never change. A preacher would come over and talk to him. <coughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. The preacher would come over and talk to him. And I thought, okay, it's going to be okay now. Then it wouldn't really last, see. But boy, when he stopped drinking, it was something else. It gave me a greater compassion for others in like situations. It opened me up to drink more deeply of the grace of God. Now, look at your notes here. And what I want to talk to you about tonight. <clears throat> Sorry. I don't know what your past may or may not have been like. I don't know what your heretofore is tonight. But let me tell you, as we said last night, he's removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. <clears throat> the man who wrote half the New Testament, Paul, look at his life before he got saved. Your past, your past is the past. It is under the blood. It was addressed. It was addressed fully. <clears throat> With the only person that ultimately is going to matter. Number two, the here and now. Now turn to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> and here's the crux. We're making the big turn. Everything said was to bring you to this point right now. <clears throat> what I grew up under at home was not near as ugly as that. In fact, if it hadn't been for that, I would have never come out of it. My dad would have never come out of it. My mom would not have gotten through it. My family would not have gotten through it. <clears throat> I am a better person by the grace of God in spite of all that because in the hand of God, what God can do with that, amen? I mean, to get in the scriptures and to seek God and to seek healing and, and meaning and direction and strength and confidence and security, it's amazing. I sought it in a very deep way because I needed it. There was no place else to go. I was pointed here, and by the grace of God, I went into it. And so largely a lot of what I am today, what it did for me, we'd go out fishing with the men in the church, <clears throat> And uh, my dad wouldn't drink. We went to the men of the church. They'd invite us out to fish. We'd be out there until midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, fishing for catfish. These were godly men. They didn't talk about sports and stuff. They were talking about the Bible. They were talking about the things of God. They were reading Tozer a lot. They were discussing that. And I remember as a kid sitting there listening to that. I mean, it was just under the stars at night, like David and Psalm 8, here and there. I'm thinking, wow. Man, that's some kind of, oh, I got a Bible. Oh, yeah. Certainly they'd go on talking and stuff about that. That happened a lot of times. I couldn't wait to go because I didn't want to go fish with my dad if they didn't go because it wasn't a pleasant experience. And I mean, it's like, wow. You know, I learned early that God was not a boring topic. That he was fascinating. And I, I started hearing statements and quotes. I heard when I was a kid, the most important thing about you is what comes in your mind when you think about God. You know what God was doing? You know, I'm a man of few words, as you know. It probably shocks you that I'm a preacher. 
I believe I was put on this planet to do exactly what I'm doing now, okay? God made donkeys and mules and people like me, okay? I mean, he was opening me up. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Take him out of your truck. Thank you. God used all that because he had a purpose for me, amen? It's one thing to be taught theory. It's another thing to actually experience it. Look at Romans 8, 28. Look what it says here. And we know that all things work together for good to them that are, love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed. The predestination here is not heaven and hell. The predestination here is Christ's likeness. God's plan when you get saved was not just to get you to heaven, not just to get you out of Egypt, but he brought you out that he might bring you in. Christ's likeness, the promised land level of living, the New Testament level of spirit-filled life. To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What's the good that God works out of all things, bad and good, all that happens in our life, for the Christian, for the believer, who stays under the influence of the Holy Spirit, who walks in fellowship with God, who stays in a church like this one, who listens to Sunday school lessons or gives Sunday school lessons, who attends church and listens, has their own Bible study time, their own devotional time, who walks with God, the good is, no matter what happens in your life, no matter what, he works it to make you more and more and more like Christ. <clears throat> there was a time I'd pray, God, make me a better husband, make me a better father. Unfortunately, I don't think I ever prayed really growing up, make me a better son. I was older, more or less leaving home, and I really got my head screwed on straight. I said, God, make me a better preacher. And one day God said, how about if I make you more like Christ? The more I'm like Christ, the better husband I'll be, the better father I'll be, the better preacher I'll be, Amen. Hey, Christianity is Christ. Now, we're, we're aware of that. That's in the here and now. Let me just stop here right now because we're getting to the heart of the message. We're going to go to the Romans 8, 28 of the Old Testament in just a moment. Everything from this moment all the way back to your conception, that is in God's mixture. And God's recipe, he'll take all that if you will seek him out. Get serious. He'll take all that and he will work it for good. And this earth will be a better place because you are on it. Heaven will be better forever because you influence people accordingly. Amen? Amen? You say, but this happened, this happened. All things work together for good. Amen. All things. Beauty from ashes. Amen? You may have seen something in your life that was so important. It may have been a relationship. It may have been a career. It may be a health situation. And you saw it more or less just burn into ashes. And it's a thing of the past. Beauty from ashes. Amen. I'm sorry Solomon did the stupid thing he did. You read, you read uh, Ecclesiastes 2 and you read what Solomon did. I mean, Solomon got so far away from God. He's offering up sacrifices outside of Jerusalem to the god Moloch. His wives, his foreign wives, he wasn't supposed to be marrying all these women. They turned away from God. But he woke up one day and he wrote Ecclesiastes. Too bad he did what he did, but you know what? Ecclesiastes is a powerful book. He had whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted it. You look at it, he was a, he's the one man who could have whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted it. And when he got it all, he got it all after several years, and by the way, if, if a woman could make you happy as a man, he would have been happy. He had 300 and 700 wives and concubines. You know what he said? I hated life. 
But we learned a lot, didn't we? All right, now go to Genesis 50. Let's go to a familiar story and look at this. Most of us, I told you, kind of setting up for this, setting up for this, I told you that everyone in this room it bears relational, emotional scars. Okay? We live, with, we live with fallen people. And we're fallen. And there's a devil. And this world can be a very cruel place. We have veterans that have seen things. We have policemen that have seen things. We have people that have experienced things only God and them know about. You read about some people, the things they face in certain situations, you think, how in the world did they come out of that? Well, look at Genesis chapter 50. Okay, we're going to read a few verses. Make a few, to go to one more passage. I'm going to pull this together. When he was 17 years of age, he was sold by his brothers into slavery. And the circumstance basically was this. We're you know, Reuben said, don't kill him, throw him in the pit, and we'll figure out what we're going to do then. When Reuben was gone, they sold him as a slave, which basically meant you were going to be horribly abused, and you're going to die a slow, early death, because you just became a piece of property. Now, that's scary to a 17-year-old, going to the hands of foreigners who aren't friendly towards your people anyway, and to face what he's going to face, and to have it done to you by your brothers. Now, that can cause a little psychosis. Amen? I mean, that's, that stinks. That's, it. that's just cruel. That's horrendous. And by the way, there's people on our planet right now that have something very similar happened to them. I could stop and pick four or five situations, make parallels. And listen, we told you there are certain things. Parents have a very important role and no parent's perfect. And the people we love the most can hurt us the most. Spouses, children. We all got people here or there that let us down. And, and probably worse than that, we've let people down sometimes. How many, would, how many of us would not go back and get a few years on us and do a few things a little different if you could? Man, you talk about, he was basically just thrown away by his brethren. Well, guess what happens? Remember, he, he had the two dreams. And his brothers laughed at him. I mean, he was somewhat naive, apparently. He's a kid. Favor of his father, which was part of that's his father's problem, doing what he was doing, setting that situation up. But he has two dreams. We haven't got time, but you can read in the Psalms, Psalm 105, etc. The Bible talks about all he had to hold on to was these two dreams. He gets falsely accused with, with Potiphar's wife. He has a lot of things happen, but at the age of 30, he's taken out of prison. He stands before Pharaoh 13 years, 13 years later. For 13 years, what's going on? What did those dreams mean? What's going on? At the age of 30, he stands before Pharaoh, interprets the dream that Pharaoh has. He says there's going to be seven years of abundance, and there's going to be seven years of leanness. And you need to prepare. While we have abundant, let's get enough extra so we can survive that last seven years because Pharaoh had a dream and he interpreted the fat cows and lean cows. Okay? Longhorns and, you know, whatever. But anyway, and what happened was exactly what he said. Pharaoh was so impressed with his interpretation. Hey, you know what the Bible keeps saying all through this? But God was with him. But God was with him. 
How did he survive? How did he not die? God was with him. God was with him in the prison. God raised him back up in the prison. He became more a helper, watching over. And when he got a chance, he interpreted the dream for the baker and the butler. The baker didn't like what he heard, but the butler did and so forth. But hey, he's 30 years old, and now he is at the right hand of Pharaoh. 30 years old. When the time was right, the Bible says that the word of the Lord tried him until... Psalm 105, don't turn there now. The word of the Lord tried him until, until, until. All he had to hold on was those two dreams. You and I got 66 books. He didn't have any Bible yet. Had some revelation passed down through Abraham, Genesis 26, 5, statutes, laws, and whatever. He had family teachings and traditions. He had some basic ideas and understanding. But he didn't have what you and I had. And time masses on, and sure enough, seven years of fatness, and then two years into the famine, guess who shows up? Now he's 39, 22 years later. His brothers walk in. He looks at them. Now he looks like an Egyptian. They haven't seen him. You know, when you're 17 and you're 39, you change. Quite a, some do, some don't. But he had the Egyptian look, so to speak. Even though he had not apostatized, he still was following the true God. <clears throat> they didn't recognize him, Remember? He looked at them, and remember they said the dreams had him had his brothers bowing down. They said, we're not going to bow down to you. Who do you think you are? 22 years later, guess what they're doing? They're bowing down. They're bowing down. Well, they didn't know who he was. Even later on when they found out who he was, guess what they're doing? They're bowing down. They're bowing down. God's word is true. 39 years of age, and you know what happens. Back and forth, back and forth. And then one day... They, they didn't understand. Maybe he had them all set down in the right order. He knew things he should have known. And all of a sudden, he gets them situated. He says, I'm Joseph. It's like a seven-year-old. It's like a 39-year-old. I'm Joseph. Seven-year-old's a man, but there's a few more knocks here and there and, you know, a little less hair, whatever. But anyway, and they look at him and they are they're scared. He's not dead. We're not murderers. He's not dead. Maybe we'd be able to, he was dead. But, but he's not dead. What's he going to do? They're looking at him. He begins to weep. He weeps and cries out so loud, the Bible says the Egyptians heard him. Wow. That's an, that's an amazing scene. Amen. He said, you go home and get dad. Get rid of your stuff. Come back to the land of Goshen, and I'm going to wring your necks. No, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of your wives and your children. Huh? Okay, all right, all right. Oh, he gives Benjamin a little extra just to test and see his little brother. Same mother, you remember all that? A lot of details, but they go up. Joseph is alive. Jacob, Joseph is alive. He couldn't believe those guys. He thought, what? what? Now, one thing, they had to admit to dad that they, what they had done. They had to admit they lied to him and deceived him. The old man, he's 130 years old. He said, what? What? Joseph's alive. The Bible said he didn't believe them until he saw the wagons. The wagons were full. This is during time of famine. The wagons were full of plenty of stuff. 
all kinds of stuff. Remember, Joseph told him, don't fall out, by the way. You guys are fighting and arguing all the time. Don't argue. Just get home. And when the Bible says, when Israel, Jacob, now the spiritual side, Israel saw the wagons, he believed. How could they get all the wagons? How get all the food? Joseph, Joseph, my son, is you alive? Can you imagine what that would have been like for a few minutes there? They went to heaven in a covered wagon. Amen. That's the picture. They went to see the ascended Joseph at the right hand of Pharaoh. The only time in the Bible Pharaoh's seen in a positive light, he's a picture of God the Father, and Joseph is a picture of God the Son. Became the bread of life. Now, that's not the end of the story. 17 years, they're there. So, it happens when he's 17. At 30, he gets out of trouble, becomes the right hand of Pharaoh for nine years. His brothers show up, and they're there 17 years, and Joseph has loved them and cared for them, etc. And look at chapter 50. Dad dies, and you see, they don't understand. They think, how can this guy not be vengeful? Look at verse 15. And when Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, okay, 39 years after everything had happened, they've been there 17 years, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us of all the evil which he did unto him, which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger. They didn't even go direct. They sent a messenger. Dad's gone. And you know, these last 17 years, he's just been doing this because of dad. You see, they didn't have the heart of Joseph. They could not figure out how he could be so forgiving. They couldn't figure out. They had not had happen to them what Joseph had happened to him. But who's better, Joseph or them? Now watch. And they said to the messenger, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did under thee evil. Now we pray thee, forgive the trespasses of the servants of the God of thy father. And listen, he won't go against dad. Remember what dad said? Go tell them what our dad said. What was Joseph's response? Ah, oh, man, that's right. Doggone, I had these. Man, I was going to let these. No, 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 no. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before. Here they are again, bowing down. Fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. Those dreams were true, weren't they? First one especially, and the second one, in another way, maybe in a prophetic sense, the sun, moon, and stars, and bowing down, not just the shocks of wheat. And Joseph said to them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God. Now here it is. Here's the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament, as so many people have said. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Stop, stop. Christian, Christian, Christian tonight, listen to me. People have done things against you and they meant evil by it. And you know what? Some of it was pretty ugly. But it wasn't as ugly as that. And that's a decoration in your church. You, you, the songwriter said, embrace the cross. When I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt and all my pride forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. Amen? Wow, look at this. 
Take everything, and maybe something you did that you shouldn't have done. Put it in the hands of God. Leave it there and go forward, trusting God to turn it for good. Am I right? Now, look, look, let me say something real quick as I wrap this up real quick. I'm nothing to be saying this. I have, I'm nothing. I'm, I'm giving you the word of God, amen? It's, it's not me. It's, you know that. I just want you to know that I'm not saying, oh, no, no. I'm me and Joseph. Let me tell you what you should do here. No, that's, that's what the Bible tells us. And he says, but God meant it under good to bring to pass that it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear you not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them. You know what it was? It was God touching them through him. You ever wonder where God is? You go through a tough time, very difficult. You ever wonder where God is? People gather around you, they love you, they care for you. That's God touching you through those people. Amen? I've been in a situation, like, why, why did God do something like that? People there, we're praying, brothers, and so forth. And one day I realized, wait a minute, God is touching. God is moving. He's using people to minister to me. Amen? Now, therefore, for you not, and guess what? Everything was okay. In closing, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, here's the point. Your past can haunt you. Make sure you get this. Your past can haunt you, and some of us right now are still... Listen, I will tell you every once in a while, things kind of come up in my mind. But I remember, I could tell you so many stories, how it's almost like waves. God is just, I mean, when you know your Bible and come to a certain point, I understood my dad was struggling with. There's no hatred. I pity the times that he had. The old song, Wasted Years. My dad loved that song because he could see himself in it. Wow. Okay. I mean, just to get perspective, he was born in 1922 and he stopped drinking in 1973. 51 years. Now, he wasn't drinking when he was a kid, but I mean, as a Navy man on, okay? Look at 2 Corinthians 4. This is an amazing passage. So, our past is an issue. And right now, while you're sitting here, right now, while you're sitting here, God is making you more like Christ. He takes all that, He works it together. We'll talk more about how that happens tomorrow night. But look at this. This verse 16. You know what? This isn't home. It's real. And it's a powerful existence. But we were not made for this. I've told you before, this is like an aquarium. You were not made to live in an aquarium. You were made to live on the open sea of eternity. Man was not made for the present. The present never intended to satisfy man. Man was made for eternity. Man was made to be with God forever. This is, we're just passing through here. This is not it. And here's what's going to bring more healing than anything else right here. Verse number 16. And by the way, look who wrote this. I got in your notes. Go back and look at all that Paul suffered. In chapter 11, he lists 45 things he'd already suffered for Christ. This is not somebody in ivory tower writing this. This is Paul. His ministry is only about 12 or 13 years old. He lists 45 things he suffered in 2 Corinthians 11. Paul suffered more than Job. Nobody suffered like Paul over a period of time. And he writes this, look what he says. For which cause, verse 16, we faint not, but though which cause, he describes it, I just told you about in chapter 4, etc. Yet though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed, what? That's important, that's tomorrow night. For our light affliction, what, excuse me? Our light affliction, Paul, 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 Paul. Our, I mean our, I mean, I mean my affliction next to yours is light, but you, you, you say our. Yeah, yeah, Paul says our light affliction, which is but for a what? Your life is just a vapor that appear for a moment and, 
and you're in the presence of God. It's but for a moment. Worketh for us. Our light affliction worketh for us. Our light affliction worketh for us. Joseph didn't get bitter. Joseph got better. God can turn lemons into lemonade. Amen. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Notice light and weight. That's a, it's like if you go through 50 pounds of suffering here, when you get to heaven, it'll be 51 pounds of blessing. No, that's just more. He didn't say that you're going to share in God's glory. He says you're going to share, look at it again, you're going to share in more glory. So instead of 50 pounds of suffering equal, you'll have 100 pounds of glory. No, more than that. Worketh for us a far more weight of glory. Hey, that's good. If I suffer 50 pounds down here, I'll have 200 pounds of glory up there. No, it's better than that. Keep reading. Works for us a far more, look, far more exceeding weight of glory. Oh, you mean like a thousand pounds of glory with 50 pounds of suffering. What if you suffer a thousand pounds? 50,000 pounds of glory. So you're being silly. No, you're being silly not believing what I'm saying. It's better than that. Well, after we've been here a thousand years, will it matter? Look what it says. A far more and what? Exceeding an eternal weight of glory. I don't care what you suffer down here, Christian. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how bad it is. God said, you won't get to heaven and go, well, I'm here. Pretty good. I'll make the best of it. Now, nobody's going to get to heaven and go, God, I'm, I'm glad to be here, but is this it? No. Fanny Crosby. Oh, don't you wish you have your eyesight back? She said, no. No. Why? Because the first face I'll see will be the face of my Savior. She didn't get better. She got better. Our hymnal's full of songs of it. Paul loved the fellowship of his sufferings. He didn't want the suffering, but he loved the fellowship. Let me just tell you tonight. There's nothing uglier than that. And look what God's done. And the ugliest things that have happened in our lives, God can turn for good. Now, and it's going to matter forever. Believe it. Believe it. There's healing in it. Pastor. Pastor. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.